He had, you know, the former prime ministers of three countries on his company's advisory board. He had the ex-CEOs of all these big corporations advising him as well. And that all came crashing down to him. Welcome to the Powers That Beat Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy, filling in for Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, September 5th. Today, I'm joined by Eric Gardner to talk about the legal backlash to the Me Too movement, from Andrew Cuomo to the saga of Zia Chisti, the politically connected multi-millionaire Invisalign inventor at the center of a hugely important $500 million defamation battle. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, filling in for Peter Hamby. Welcome to the powers that be. Today, I'm joined by Eric Gardner to talk about a pretty remarkable legal story that's sort of flown under the radar, and that's the backlash to Me Too that's been playing out in the courts. Eric, I want to get into your reporting on this big-time multimillionaire businessman. His name's Zia Chisti. He's one of the powerful men whose career came crashing down as a result of sexual assault allegations sort of how that ties into the practice of forcing women into private arbitration, which is something that's now been banned. But I want to start with another better-known alleged Me Too casualty, which is Andrew Cuomo, the former Democratic superstar, governor of New York, who resigned in 2021 after a number of women came forward to say that he'd sexually harassed them, touched them inappropriately, and so on. Those episodes were obviously covered pretty intensely in the media, but there's been a lot less coverage about the fact that Cuomo, for the last couple of months now, he's been on this crusade to basically investigate his investigators. Eric, what's the backstory there? And what is Cuomo actually trying to accomplish in court right now? Yeah, it's been a multifold, a couple of things. He was sued by a couple of state troopers who were alleged to have been sexually harassed. And uh, Cuomo has used the discovery process in this lawsuit to basically, you know, investigate everything. That means trying to get the report from the New York Attorney General that was released and led to an impeachment inquiry. That means uh, investigating the women who are accusing him and their histories. That includes the people, you know, in his own office who were, you know, talking to the tabloid media and dishing on him. So he has spent millions of dollars going through all this, and he's, he's conducted more than 20 depositions, and we're actually learning quite a bit about everything that went down. Back in the day, you know, things were coming out in drip drips, but, uh, you know, for those who continue to pay attention, there's certainly a lot where the story can go. What do you think is the goal of all this, Eric? I mean, do, do you think we'll see him filing defamation charges? I, I think that would be a bad look for a guy who seems to want to clear his reputation. Is he trying to muddy the waters to set the stage for some kind of political comeback? 
Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I he certainly is very damaged uh, reputationally, so it's hard to see him making a political comeback. But that being said, I, I think he wants to build on uh, small legal successes. He, he wants to defeat claims against him. He wants to mount uh, some sort of legal counterattack. I don't know if it's going to go as far as, a, as defamation lawsuits, but certainly I think that, you know, what we're going to see is, you know, some stories bubbling up in the media about things that weren't really locked down about the whole Andrew Cuomo sexual harassment scandal. I know that his sister has uh, been kind of coordinating some media uh, on social media and, and stuff. There was a, you know, a report in the Washington Post a few days ago that was favorable to him that, that basically showed that the New York tabloids, especially the New York Post, was relying on, you know, these individuals in his office who didn't really know it much, but were just like passing on some office gossip. So I, I think he's just going to try to use all this to kind of suggest that he was unfairly tarred. And, you know, if at best, I think we can point to the example of maybe like Al Franken, who, you know, stepped down. Uh, and then a few years later, there was some kind of reexamination about the the entire ordeal. Yeah. And we should say, like, there, there are a lot of women who have come out and made claims against Andrew Cuomo. I don't have any particular reason to believe that they're untrue. At, at the very least, it seems like he engaged in creepy and unwanted behavior. I don't think many people are disputing that. But, you know, to your point, there was this report that the state attorney general had put out, I guess, more than two years ago now, where she ultimately said that all the evidence was going to be made available to the public. And that didn't happen. I think less than half of the transcripts, the sworn statements were eventually released. There was a lot that were redacted. The Daily Mail filed a FOIA request to get the rest of that material, which was denied. Do you suspect that possibly there's something in those material that Cuomo wants out that, that he hopes might exonerate him to some extent? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I can't say the, for, for sure what's in those reports and some of the and evidence backing and backing up. But what I can say is that if you pay attention to what's going on in court, there are journalists who are intervening, who are trying to unseal the record. Cuomo himself seems to want to disclose a lot of this stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's really the, the plaintiff's attorneys who are trying to shut it down, which is kind of an interesting stance from them, given that they are usually the media-friendly ones who are, are circulating a lot of stuff. Uh, that that being said, I, you know, who, who knows? It's probably a mix of, of stories where, you know, there was a behavior that was concerning, and maybe there was also reports that went went too far. But I think that, you know, in the, in the coming months, we should learn a lot more about what happened. Eric, another thing that's interesting to me about the Cuomo situation is how he fits into this broader pattern of powerful men who were accused of sexual misconduct over the last couple of years who are now trying to use the legal system to fight back. You reported on guys like Dave Portnoy, who sued the media. He, he sued uh, Business Insider for publishing some of the accusations against him. He lost that case. Obviously, Cuomo is going about this in a different way. He's not going after the media, but he's trying to find other ways, it looks like, to clear his name. I'm curious how much of the backlash you think has been encouraged by Johnny Depp, who sort of, he semi-successfully won his defamation case against Amber Heard. She, she scored some wins against him too. But you talk to a lot of lawyers who are in this arena. What, what do you hear from them in terms of how the Depp case in particular opened the floodgates of this post-Me Too backlash era that it seems like we're in now? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I think that, you know, a lot of people are reacting because the stakes are so high. Uh, you know, Me Too came along and, and everyone justifiably start believing women when they came across these stories and, and careers were ruined. And a lot of men, I guess, felt like they had no choice but to uh, to react. You know, I don't know whether it's always a sound strategy, but, you know, it's, some of them filed defamation lawsuits. And from the Johnny Depp episode, they've they've certainly taken some sort of, you know, exemplar of, of, you know, what can go right for them. They move forward, they have a trial in the public eye, they are vindicated to a certain extent. Uh, I will quarrel with some who think that it, that it was ultimately a victory for Johnny Depp. I, I, I still think that he's suffering career-wise. He still is a is a controversial figure. And I think time will tell whether it like really amounted to sound strategy for him to 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 file that lawsuit. But that being said, I, I certainly know that you know a lot of men look up to to Johnny Depp and are, are using that trial verdict as as some sort of example for themselves of what possibly could could go right for them if they pursue things if they you know seek justice all right we'll take a quick break and eric when we get back i want to ask you about this zia chisti case this podcast is proudly supported by netflix presenting the new series the gentleman Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, the gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking. I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed so sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back. Eric, you reported this week on Zia Chisti, who's filed this half billion dollar defamation suit against a former employee who says that she was sexually abused by him a number of years ago. Most people probably are not aware of who this guy is, but he, he was a big deal in Washington and in the business world for a long time, made a huge amount of money. What's the the, the backstory there? Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he is leading an AI company and there's nothing 
quite as hot these days as, as artificial intelligence. But uh, beyond that, uh, I mean, he had, you know, the former prime ministers of three countries on his company's advisory board. He had the ex-CEOs of all these big corporations advising him as well. And that all came crashing down to him in an interesting way. It wasn't just that he was publicly accused of sexual harassment for an employee. That happens, I guess, you know, quite a bit. It didn't just happen in interviews. It happens in Congress before lots of cameras. This, uh, you know, ex-employee Tatiana Spottiswood, she says that, you know, she was a 21-year-old and her father was friends with the guy when he started wooing her. Later, she became an employee of his and they had a relationship. And when uh, he cut it off, uh, she continued to pressure her and eventually assaulted her. That's what she says. And she told this story to, to Congress. And not only did she tell the story, but she released the arbitration award. She had won millions of dollars on it. And this was all part of Congress's look to see whether they should ban arbitration for sexual assault survivors, which they ultimately did after she testified. Uh, soon after that happened, however, he uh, came forward with a defamation lawsuit saying that she and her lawyers basically engineered a hit job and that she didn't tell the full story to Congress. And now he's suing her for all this sorts of money, uh, trying to do this pretty much under cloak and dagger, like everything in, in this case is pretty much sealed. But what's interesting is that, you know, it really, you know, raises issues about, you know, can your testimony before Congress lead you to trouble on the defamation front? And that's uh, interestingly a, a question that, that has not really been tested. Yeah, Eric, I want to get into all that. But it, it's funny, the defamation suit seems to have backfired also in certain ways on Chisty, because this arbitration process that Spottiswood was involved in, in in 2019, I guess, with the company, that was private. It was a it was a secret arbitration as these things tend to be. She has testified before Congress that under the terms of her contract she could not speak about this. But after her testimony and after Chisty sued her for defamation, the Judiciary Committee then sort of sneakily put the 2019 arbitration into the public record. Uh, so now all that information is out there in a way that it probably would not have been if Chisty had not challenged her on this. Yeah, and if you you know listen to his allegations, uh, that was basically her way of circumventing her secrecy ob obligations. That basically uh, her lawyers kind of engineered her appearance before Congress. That you know they kind of nudged the uh, the the representatives, the congressmen, to subpoena her um, because you know there's always a carve out in these confidentiality agreements for subpoenas for for legal process. So if you get subpoenaed, there's nothing you could do about it. You're allowed to break your confidentiality agreements and give forward all the documents that you want, or at least is re are responsive to, to the subpoena. And what he's trying to do is saying is to say that, you know, well, sh this wasn't really in good faith. It wasn't legitimate. Basically, she engineered the, the testimony to, to do that. Nevertheless, we all know what happens, we know that she won millions of dollars on it and anyone can read uh, the findings of the arbitrator about you know how she was sexually abused or, and, and such. That's led to disastrous uh, consequences for, for this guy. Basically, you know, the, you know, the leaders of, the, of all those countries I mentioned stepped away from his company. The company had to pull away from markets. He had to resign as CEO. And now he's living, 
you know, outside this country and, you know, trying to savage his reputation. So it's a, it's certainly a, like a weird but interesting uh, ordeal. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, one reason why this is so important is because if you testify before Congress, you're shielded under congressional immunity, which says witnesses cannot be prosecuted for what they're compelled to say under oath. But just these lawyers are arguing in part, I'm getting this from, from your reporting, that Tatiana reached out to Congress, that it was her outreach to them in the first place that then allowed her to go there and put all this into the public record. And they want to argue, essentially, that, that, that's, that that's not fair, that that goes against sort of the, the spirit of this law. Do you think they have any kind of case there? Do you think they could be successful in sort of carving out uh, this particular circumstance? Or, or could it even be more far-reaching that if they're successful here, they could compromise congressional immunity entirely for witnesses who testify before Congress? Yeah, I think it's a pretty long shot because the uh, standard really is anything that's connected and you're allowed to, uh, you know, contact Congress. You're, you're, the privilege exists so that legislators can have input when they're making legislation. But that being said, yeah, certainly uh, Chisty's uh, lawyers are trying to limit the privilege uh, and that could have huge consequences that not just on sexual misconduct allegations, but basically basically everything that Congress investigates. You know, if people realize that they're going to have uh, liability for what they tell Congress, uh, it might make them have second thoughts about, about testifying. I still think, though, it's a, it's a pretty long shot to, to say that, you know, you're allowed to testify before Congress, but, you know, in the weeks when everyone's preparing the testimony, uh, you could be held liable for that. Or you can be liable for you know what you put in your written testimony because there's no firm requirement that you put your testimony down in writing uh so uh, these are kind of like you know questions on the edge that have never been explored it's interesting uh you know i i looked and you know for the past few decades you'd, you'd think that there were battles arising from from con congressional testimony but i couldn't really find anything there, you know there's stuff in footnotes of of other kind of parallel kind of situations but but nothing quite like this and so you know this is a case that you know could have big consequences i've spoken to people in congress who are, are certainly paying attention to this situation eric one sort of funny coda to all of the reporting that you did on this is you were able to access a number of documents and some evidence in the case that it sounds like Chisty's lawyer had sort of accidentally left unsealed. How, how did that come your way? Yeah, that, I mean, one of the things that I always do when I when I see things are sealed is I, I look to make sure that things are really sealed. You know, things are really redacted. The keys are not like in the door, uh, so you can so you can go in, and you never know. Uh, there are certainly instances where you know lawyers screw up. I can't say for sure what happened here, but but you know from the looks of things, here was a request to the judge to seal materials, but it included all sorts of exhibits. The exhibits were supposed to you know be later sealed, but you know for for whatever reason those exhibits uh, were not themselves sealed. So it gave me a peek into you know, what's been going on, and you know I think it's pretty interesting and a lesson for those who practice in, in the court of law. 
Well, it seems like if there is a any kind of lesson there, it's uh, to always be diligent with this stuff. If you leave some kind of document uncovered anywhere, Eric Gardner will find it. Eric, it's a really fascinating piece. I encourage people to go check it out online and read more if they're interested. Thanks for coming to buy. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.